Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Tony P. Good evening, everyone. I'm Tony. I'm a compulsive overeater. And thank you, Walter, for asking me to speak. You know, it's, it's such a privilege to share my story um, in a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, and first of all, let me welcome the newcomers. Um, you know, for you that you're here at your very first meetings, um, let me just tell you that I walked into the doors of Overeaters Anonymous on July 2nd, 1986. Um, I heard someone's version of absence. I took it. Um, and ran with it, and I've been here for 22 years. So I've been absent for 22 years, um, and that seems, for people that are brand new, it seems like an absolute insurmountable thing. How could anyone do it for 22 years? Um, And the way I've done it is I've just kept coming back, no matter what. Um, For those of you who don't know my story, for those of you who do, if I forget something, just you can fill it in. Um, um, I... I, uh, some of you know and some of you won't, but I'll tell you again. Um, I came into this world three months early, and uh, um, I had things to do, um, and uh, the doctor told my mother that I wasn't going to live, that uh, I, I was two, I was three months early, I was two pounds, three ounces, and I was not going to make it, so she better pick, up, pick out a nice name for the tombstone because I wasn't going to be here. And she said, I think he's going to make it. And I, I made it through my first night. Um, and that was it. And I was—I uh, fought for the first seven years of my life. I was pretty sickly. Um, and then at seven, a lot of things changed. Um, my mother was a, a, an alcoholic and a drug addict. She um, abused Valium and, and alcohol for during her pregnancy, during my sister's pregnancy, during my other sister's pregnancy, who didn't make it. Um, but uh, so at seven, she um, divorced my father, and she became a sober member of. Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, also at seven, um, she met another man and uh, she, who I profoundly disliked because he was taking her away from me. And uh, he became my stepfather. And um, also the other thing that happened is I discovered chocolate and peanut butter. Um, I talk a lot about food. I name specific food. Um, this is Overeaters Anonymous. Got to talk about it. So I name specific foods. If that offends people, I am sorry, but this is my recovery. And once I start glossing over it and saying, "Oh, it was a peanut buttery substance," and you know, it was Jif. Okay, that's exactly what it was. You know, M and M's, Jif, Duncan Hines, we're going the whole distance. So um, because you know, my disease um, tells me that you know, carob is chocolate. You know, and I can abuse it, and after a while, it just tastes like chocolate. And then I eat massive quantities. And the reason is, and it says in our literature, and I, I love this, it says men and women, and I cross out drink, and it says men and women eat essentially because they like the effect produced by food. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their overeating life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few bites which they see others taking with impunity. Um, You know, at seven, I didn't know what impunity was. I didn't know what, you know, 
irritable discontent was. All I knew was that um, life was not how I wanted it to be. Uh, my mother, um, once she got sober, she became a very well-known speaker in that program. Um, she was out of the house a lot. She was speaking seven nights, sometimes a week. Um, I had babysitters. I, you know, and and I grew up in an, in a, a twelve-step household. So, for for lack of a better way to put it, it was a phenomenal childhood because you know there was recovery in our house. I mean, but there was also you know drunks sleeping on our couch and people throwing up all over the place, and it was just it was a zoo. Um, she fed everybody, you know, at the holidays and. You know, that was a wonderful experience in some respects, but it was also, it was hard to share my mother with people. It was hard to share my mother with my stepfather. It was hard to share my mother with all these other people. She was a, you know, we have no stars and VIPs, but you know what? She was very popular, and people loved her, and it was very, it was like being a, a movie star's son. I would go with her to meetings, and people would just, you know, like fall over her and fall over me, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, but I was incredibly lonely. Um... And I like the effect produced by chocolate and peanut butter. I like the effect. I mean, once I had a bite of it, that rush, everything was right with the world. I could deal with life. I could deal with being a lonely child. I could deal with being an only child. I had an older sister. She left home early on. I didn't really have siblings, so everything was kind of bestowed on me. Um, I was spoiled. That's just the way it was. Um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't overly spoiled where I got everything I wanted, darn it, but I got most of it. Um, and, uh, you know, and then my stepfather and I, we just, just didn't, it was like oil and water. He wanted, he had children from a previous marriage, so when he came in, it was like, okay, that I was going to be the son that he didn't get. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't the son he was going to get because um, he wanted a race car driving track star football playing car mechanic. You can take one look at me and tell I didn't make any of this. <laughs> just didn't happen. You know, much to his chagrin on you know Saturday and Sunday I was with my mom at Orbax and you know shopping in Beverly Hills. It just didn't work out for him. <laughs> as much as he tried, he would take me out. He'd say, "We're going to the park." I'm like, oh, God, "Not the park." And he'd like get these footballs and baseballs and all these things, and you know he'd throw this ball at me, you know, and all I could see was like, it's going to hit me. It's going to hit me. He's like, catch it. I'm like, it's going to hit me. And I would just step out of the way and then fall to the ground. I'm like, I'm not touching it, you know. And so it was a constant frustration. And, you know, so that was, you know, part of it. Um, I just, I didn't fit in at school. Um, I think it was probably, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know what it was. Um, later on, I would realize it was, you know, probably sexuality issues. But, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. People didn't, you know, I was just, I, growing up with all these adults, I think my maturity level changed. I was a little bit more mature than, than they were, and that was hard. I just didn't fit in. I wanted to, always wanted to be older, you know. And so what I turned to was food because there was nothing else around, you know. I mean, I, and it wasn't that my parents didn't love me. They loved me tremendously, even my stepfather. Even though I wasn't what he really wanted, he still, in his way, he did the best he could, and he loved me. He, he just really did. And um, I, I lost weight in, in school for things that needed to, you know, but um, always um, I longed to get back to what would protect me, what would soothe me, and that was, um, for me, it was really, I mean, you know, it was really chocolate, I mean, man, that was like, whew, um, I wish I could put that on everything, I mean, every, you know, 
Oh, and that stuff was just incredible. And um, the smell of it, the texture, I mean, it was all, it was, and, and it was. I could solve world peace. I really could. I thought, <laughs> you know. Um, so what happened to me, oh, I, I did go to Overeaters Anonymous when I was about um, 13. And the reason is, you know, my parents, once they got sober, they, they watched me gaining weight, you know, and they thought, what's the deal, you know? So they took all the sugary things out of the house. They took everything out of the house so that it wouldn't tempt me. They didn't eat dessert in front of me. <laughs> Fools. Um, what they didn't realize was that as soon as they left to go speak, um, I would wait the obligatory 21 minutes before I knew they wouldn't circle back because they had forgot something, like their big book, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. And I would, like, run out to the store. I would steal money from them, run out to the store, and buy, you know, chocolate fudge Pop-Tarts, you know, 25 boxes of them or as many as I could with whatever money I could scrounge up. And lie to the checkout clerks, you know, because that's what we do, you know, because we're sure that they're going to go... <laughs> Why is this child buying six boxes of pop tarts? You know? um, and so I would tell them these stories, and you know, then I'd come back in five minutes because I had run out, you know, and it's like, and you know, it was just that was what I did, you know, to survive. Um, I uh, I gained weight, and uh, my parents, you know, they would do what they could by, you know, they'd have those abstinent meals with, you know, steak and cottage cheese and cherry tomatoes. Oh, it was just a nightmare. You know, halibut and I mean, it was just, I mean, but they really, they were trying and they just couldn't understand, you know. And then they, one day they opened the refrigerator looking at their, the top layer of their wedding cake only to realize it was like, gosh, why are all these scratch marks in it, you know. Well, I had been like scratching the frosting, eating the frosting, but trying not to make it look like anyone, I thought, I said, oh, we must have mice (laughs) in the refrigerator. Well, it's the rabbit. He's outside. Well, I don't know. Um, so I, I lied, I stole, I, you know, I got caught stealing in a market, I got caught stealing a Snickers bar, I was like, God, I wish I could have stole more then, you know, one Snickers bar, but, you know, the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization didn't set in, having, you know, my mother come down and get me from the back room of the store, that didn't do it, um, you know, it, it, they did everything they could, they, they bribed me, they said, we'll buy you great school clothes, because they knew, okay, he's a fashion, he, he likes clothes, so if we bribe him and tell him we'll get more clothes. Well, of course, I was shopping in the Husky section, for God's sake. That didn't really, I didn't want to shop there. I wanted, you know, now if I was thin and they were going to give me better clothes, that would have been one thing, but I just, um, I just couldn't do it. Um, so, um, I got to, uh, um, I'll fast forward. I got to, I was 13 years old, and um, I went to my, my mother talked to one of her friends into um, sending me to Overeaters Anonymous with her. And I came to, to a room not unlike this one. I remember it was a church. I don't remember where it was, but you know, everybody was adults. I was 13 years old or maybe even younger. I can't remember exactly the age. And I, I just went, I don't have anything in common with these people. You know, they're all standing around talking, drinking tea with liquid sweetener in it. I mean, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand. I was a child. I didn't understand what they were talking about. I mean, these weren't my issues. You know, my issues were how do you deal with the bully down the street? And, you know, I mean, we just, we don't really know what to do with young people at Overeaters Anonymous. We just, you know, we, it's just really hard. So um, I didn't stay, and, and thank God, you know, and that um, because um, I had more eating to do, you know, and I uh, um, I got to the place where um, I was 200 pounds, and uh, I'm 5'4 and 3'8". Um, very important for the 3'8s because you know, you've got to get all the height you can. Um, and I wore, um, I had two outfits that I could um, wear, um, and, I, and one was brown and one was blue. You had to alternate the days, you know. And... Um, 
my, I wore cords, and of course the corduroy was worn out in the crotch, so that was a lovely look. Um, <laughs> so I walked like kind of like a penguin, you know, like, so my, my thighs wouldn't show. I mean, I mean, and this, and it sounds funny, but you know, I, I just this was like what I had to do. I mean, this was just crazy, but. You know, as compulsory eaters, you know, we do what we have to do. I mean, I still wanted the effect. You know, I still wanted that effect that chocolate produced. And I did all the things. You know, I, I decided I'd make these deals with myself. I wouldn't eat, okay, I'm only going to eat one bag of M&M's a day. And so, you know, that would work for like the first ten minutes. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, no, I'm not going to get another bag till tomorrow. And so I'm going to eat tomorrow's today and then I won't any t- eat any tomorrow well you know I mean all of a sudden you're eating like you know three weeks in advance and it just the math just got really crazy for me and I, I just you know I, I was I knew I was I was sunk um, did I stop of course not um, I got to the place where um, I uh, I was I, I needed so much chocolate that um, I remember um, one day I uh, I I loved, you know, that crap, that Nestle Quick, you know, chocolate milk powder. And I was I was eating some of that, and I realized, gosh, this powder is chocolate. Hmm, what else is like that? And I remembered that um, brownie mix um, was was like that. And I would, and it was cheap, you know. I could, you could buy a box of brownie mix. And so I got to the point where I was eating a box of dry brownie mix a day. That's how much I needed the release from, you know, the loneliness, the... And again, it wasn't that my parents didn't love me. It was just that I couldn't fit in with what I felt other people wanted me to be. And my stepfather, and, and um, they loved me, but I just felt like I wasn't enough. You know, I, I was good in school, but, you know, nobody, every time we had to, they had to pick team for sports, it was like, oh, this is dreadful, because here we go, because no one's going to I'm going to be the last one picked, you know, and I didn't want to do it anyway, you know, but I couldn't, I didn't know how to feign an injury that I didn't have, so... Um, you know, I mean, that was that was what happened. Um, I went. I uh, how I got to Overeaters Anonymous is um, I enrolled in college. Um, I was I was 200 pounds at that point. I I was miserable, but I didn't know how to stop. Um, I didn't go to Overeaters Anonymous again, um, and so uh, I enrolled in class and and I you know wanted people to laugh and like me. See, I always thought that if you laughed that that would instantaneously mean that you accepted me. So if you laughed, that meant you liked me. So I thought, well, if I make them laugh, they will accept me, and then I will be part of the clique, and then I'll be in, and then, you know, life will be good. Everything will be fine. They will cease to see that I am 200 pounds. So um, because I only saw from here up, so, you know, if I could just make them concentrate on here up and, you know, my funny faces or whatever, then that would be it. Um, so I decided I was going to run through this room and jump up in the air and come down, and they'd all think I was so funny. Ha, 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 they just loved me. Um, what I did not realize is that this room was full of wood floors and mirrors. And uh, I ran through this room. I jumped up in the air. I came down, and 200 pounds does not come down with any kind of a graceful landing. It comes down with a dull thud on a wood floor. Very, very embarrassing. And uh, I saw myself in the mirrors, and nothing landed at the same time, and I realized that this could not continue. This was my pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I realized I was at the end. It was either I did something about this or I was going to die because I couldn't stop eating. Um, and everyone was laughing, and I finally realized that, you know, all my life, the thing that I wanted the most, which was the, that if they laughed that they liked me, is that they laughed and they were laughing at me. 
And it, it all came, it was like one of those movies. It all just kind of went, and it just crashed in on me, and I thought, whoa. Um, and I never, I was never someone who thought about suicide. Um, I just knew that I would eat myself crazy um, eventually, um, or, or be so huge that, you know, I, I, would, I would die from some other ailment. Um, I didn't go to my parents. I, I didn't really do any of that. I just decided that day I was going to stop eating um, chocolate, and I was also drinking, like, I don't know, four liters of Pepsi. Ooh, that's a lot of sugar. Um, but I, I did it, you know, <laughs> and regular meals. Um, so I just decided to stop eating those things, and I did. Um, and I went through some horrible sugar withdrawals, but, you know, fast forward three years, I had lost 75 pounds. I don't remember it. I don't remember those three years. Not a clue. Don't know what happened. Didn't tell you if, if you asked me what happened between 18 and 21 years old. Don't know. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, someone said to me one day, gosh, you've lost a lot of weight. You know, wow, how much has it been? And I said, well, it's like 75 pounds. And they went, wow, how long has it been? And I said, three years. And at that moment, the disease woke up and went, you've been on a diet for three years, and you deserve to celebrate. Now, I knew, because I'd grown up in this 12-step household and heard all these addicts, that um, I couldn't go back to my first love, which was, you know, chocolate and all of that. So I thought, well, that's okay. I'll have vanilla. <laughs> and we were off. I was, like, that close to vanilla cake mix. I'm telling you, it was, I was real close. And um, my higher power at that point, which I didn't even know what that was or how it existed, Put, put this man in my life where I called him to speak to his roommate. And I was trying to get to his roommate, and he picked up the phone first and said, you know, I know you, I've seen you, and uh, I know your mom, and, and uh, you've lost a lot of weight recently, and, and how did you do it? And I kind of was like, God, get off the phone. And he's like, uh, you know, he kept talking to me, and I said, well, um, you know, I, I, I just did it on my own. He said, well, you know, I belong to a program called Overeaters Anonymous. I'm like, yeah, 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 I've heard that. been there. was there at 13, and thank you, and... He said, well, you know, I'm going to a meeting tonight. Um, do you want to come? And I said, no, I'm busy for the rest of my life and yours. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, he like, kept pressing this thing. And, you know, my other thing, which I didn't talk there very much about, was, was people-pleasing. You know, I wanted you to like me, so the people-pleasing uh, side of me kicked in. And... Uh, I said, well, if it really means that much to you, I'll go, but I need to, I'll meet you there, you know. And so I met him at Temple Bethon, which is over on La Cienega Boulevard. It was my very first meeting, and it was in the basement. It was just the worst room I could ever imagine. It was orange. That's all I remember. It was orange. Everything was orange, and it was set up for bingo. And I thought, what the heck's going on here? What are we going to do with this? Um, and he, of course, he was very, he was, he had been an, away for a long time, and he proceeded to introduce me to every single person in the room by name as a newcomer at my first meeting. Talk about horrified. Because I wasn't going to stay. I was just doing this to, you know, like make him feel better. And I, so he would go, you know, Mickey, this is Tony. Tony, this is Mickey. Tony's at his first meeting. And he would go to find someone else, and I'd say, I'm just visiting. <laughs> And, you know, Mickey would say, keep coming back, you know, and I was like, whatever. Now, I knew what that meant, because I, you know, so I was like, no, 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 I'm just here, really, for him. And uh, so I, I stayed at that meeting, and a woman came up to me, and she said, I don't know what you're doing here, you're thin. And I said, I thought, well, she's the smartest person here. So I, uh, I was going to leave, because I had my own car, I was going to leave, and uh, I, I remember walking towards the door, and just this, this feeling came over me, that I had nowhere else to go. 
this was it. If I went out there, I was going to go straight to some other vanilla substance, you know, and start that whole thing. And um, I said, okay, I'm going to stay. And I stayed, and I heard, I heard the speaker. I don't know who it was, but they said that their absence was three meals a day, nothing in between, and no second trips to the buffet bar. And I thought, I don't go to buffets that much, so that won't be hard. But um, it's a good idea, but um, I didn't at that point. So I, uh, I thought, well, that's what absence is. You know, they didn't say that I couldn't have sugar. So now I was still eating other kinds of sugar, cookie, cake, candy, that kind of stuff. But um, that wasn't an issue at that point. It was just the chocolate. So um, that's the absence I took. Now, I, I wasn't really here to stay. So, you know, I, the traditions, the 12 steps, I heard it over and over. I was like, yeah, yeah. I had memorized them because I had been in this, you know, growing up around this for so many years. I knew all the prayers. I memorized all the things. Oh, well, God and good one if you were shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but I wasn't committed to this. I was not committed to this. I was just not really going to be here for very long. So it was, you know, but there was kind of a social thing going on. I was like, oh, I have my peeps, you know, I had some friends, and we all were kind of in the same, you know, little abstinence um, time together. So I thought, this is cool, you know, and um, they were all recovering, and they were going through things, and, you know, how hard it was. And I was like, yeah, it's not hard. 30 days, took my chip. 60 days, took my chip. Um, did all that, you know, 90, six months, nine months. And then my birthday came around, and, and uh, still, uh, now, what happened is, uh, let me back up, at six months what happened was is, um, I was really angry because everybody else was seeming to have such this wonderful positive experience and I was like, this is just really not working for me. You're all happy, but I'm not really that happy. So, now I didn't realize that it was had anything to do with me. Um, but, so I'm driving down in my car and you know, they were talking about everyone was being very spiritual, you know, very, very spiritual. Oh, they meditated, they prayed. I'm like, eh, whatever. Um... <laughs> I still had no idea that it had anything to do with, you know, higher power. I was like, hey, a higher power. <laughs> you know, my first sponsor, um, who, who actually took me to my first meeting, he became, he appointed himself to be my sponsor. I'm like, huh, whatever. And he said, I want you to call me every day. And I said, you know, I'm very busy. And I have nothing to say to you every day. And he said, well, I want, you know, just call and, and check in with me and, you know, report the weather, which is not really what he meant. <laughs> But I did. I would call him up at 6.30 and say, it's 6.30 and it's cloudy outside. Goodbye. And I'd hang up on him. <laughs> Willful. Stubborn. You know, I was going to do it my way to the bitter end, man. And uh, so he released me. Um, I don't know why. And I got another uh, sponsor. Uh, my, my, the person who first sponsored me asked me to, you know, do this exercise about what my higher power was, and, you know, I'm like, oh, higher power is God, so God's, you know, long white hair and white robe and whatever, you know, I just made something up, I'm like, get off my back, um, you know, and, it, and he's like, you know, if you don't start working this program, I'm going to make you stand up on this table if we were eating dinner and, and recite, you know, something from the big book, I'm like, the heck you are, um, and so I just was not willing to, to do what he said, and so then I, I found a, a second sponsor, who had what I wanted. He, you know, he just, he was happy. He was, you know, free. He was just, you know, he just, he just really had what I wanted. And I asked him to be my sponsor. And he said yes. And, uh, but I still wasn't really ready to do anything. So my birthday came around and, and uh, um, it was very important for me to, to get a year um, and to c- complete my fourth and fifth step. And I'm going to be completely honest with you about why it was very important. And I don't talk about this very much, but I will tell you the secret, and you cannot blab this to 
the universe, even though it's being taped. Um, the reason that I wanted to get my year and take my fourth and fifth step is because I um, have a huge ego. I know you wouldn't really know that, but um, and I wanted to be on the LA Intergroup Board of Directors. I wanted to be a big shot. So the way to do that is you had to have a year and you had to complete steps four and five. So see, this sponsor was the means to the end because I needed to get through that part um, and get the year. So um, I got him and, and he said, okay, and we got to the fourth. I was like speeding through things going, okay, we've got to hurry up here. And uh, he said, okay, do you have your um, fourth step done? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, that's pretty quick. And I'm like, yeah, I've got it done. been writing it for a long time. So we met. Um, and uh, I pulled out the sheet of paper, <laughs> and it had like a paragraph written on it. And he said, that's it? And I said, that's it. Here it is. He says, you've been working on this that long. And it, yep, that's it. And so, you know, he lovingly shook his head and went, okay. And so uh, he proceeded to, the, for the next six hours, pull my inventory out of me. Um, and it was exhausting, you know, because I, I didn't think I had any resentments. You know, it's like, yeah, my stepfather wasn't, you know, you know, all that crap, but, you know, okay, whatever. He did the best he could. So that, I didn't really have a resentment against him much. Um, you know, so it was that kind of stuff. You know, it was just like, you know, I didn't eat over him, bastard. <laughs> I hate to swear at the podium. Oh, well. Anyway, um, so uh, he did that, and, and so as soon as I finished that with him, he was gone. I never called him again. I just kind of like let it go. And then I got on the board. Um, I got my year, and my mother came, and she gave me uh, my first candle. And she gave me my candle at one of the biggest meetings we used to have at Thalians at um, Cedar Sinai. And my mother and I, you know, we just we just loved each other so much. I mean, I, she was just like my best friend in the world, you know. And so she thought it would be great to, because, you know, I, I talked about chocolate. Well, the other thing I used to do is eat these three-quarter pound bags of M&Ms, and I'd hide them, and, you know, a couple times she'd catch me and all this. So it was a big joke. So she brought this bag of M&Ms with the no symbol taped on it and my candle. Well, we thought it was hysterical, but you should have seen the air suck out of the room when she pulled it out of the bag. I mean, oh, my God. You know, it was really, really, I, we thought it was funny, but it was really kind of weird. Anyway, so um, I got my year. I, I dumped the sponsor, and I proceeded to sponsor myself for the next 15 years. I don't recommend that. You know, I mean, you get a lot of the answers that you want, but it's really not, <laughs> not the best answers for what you need. Um, you know, because it, and, and I just, I kept telling myself, well, no one has what I want, you know, and I'm just still searching. Well, you know, 15 years is a long time to search, you know. It was crazy. So, um, you know, I, I um, that's the honesty. You know, I don't, I, I never, ever, ever would, would say to someone that sponsoring yourself is, is the way to go. Um, and it's only by the grace of my higher power that I stayed um, those 15 years that I was sponsorless. Um, you know, I went to meetings. I, I did service. I did a lot of service. And I think that's what actually kept me here. And I am a big proponent of doing service. I think you, everyone should have a service commitment um, at a meeting because it will get your butt there. Now, that is provided that once you take the commitment, you keep it. Um, I am one of those kind of people that, you know, once I take a commitment, I'm there every week. You know, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't take a commitment unless I can be there every week. I feel like, you know, that's my commitment to my own recovery is to come and, and do that. So, um, you know, I took a lot of commitments. Um, um, we will fast forward to about 
five or six years ago, and uh, that second sponsor saw me speak at a meeting, and outside he came up to me and he said, I'm going to sponsor you again. It's time. And I said, oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, I was absolutely, you guys, I was absolutely willing. And at this point, I, called, I call him every day, and I love calling him every day. I mean, it was, it's totally different, but, it, you know, 22 years ago, I, I just, that wasn't my experience. I just didn't want to do it. Um, you know, and, and uh, he took me through the steps again. Um, we did another fourth step, and that was totally different. Um, you know, and, and he's exactly, he, he goes through a lot of things that I go through, so it's, it's really a wonderful, wonderful experience now. Um, it's totally different. Um, so that was what it was like, what happened. What it's like today um, is phenomenal. Um, you know, I laugh a lot. I laugh a lot at myself. I laugh a lot at life. Um, and there are just no more big deals at, like what they were. You know, I mean, the dramas that um, I created and I, you know, lived through and I put on other people, they don't exist that much anymore. I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, you know, sometimes it's like, there's a bit off this gossip going on and I'm going to stir it up a bit. But it doesn't last very long because, you know, it's like, I know that my life is in those 12 steps and 12 traditions, and so I can't live like that. I can't live with insulting you and, and saying, well, you deserved it. You know, I mean, I have to go back in, in less than five minutes usually and say, you know, that really, wasn't, that really wasn't good what I just said to you, and I'm sorry. Because I don't want to eat lunch the size of the state of Texas. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to live bound by food anymore. I want to be free. Um, the gift of this program is that, you know, I told you about my chocolate addiction. Um, and the beauty of that is, is that, you know, I don't, that's not my food. And chocolate doesn't hold anything over me anymore. I have a bowl of chocolate in my office for my student workers and fellow staff members. And they come in all day and they're like, I can't believe you have this in here. And you don't eat it as they're like, you know, throwing wrappers on the floor and eating like no tomorrow. <laughs> and saying, you know, don't you have blah, blah, blah. Whatever's in there, you know, go for it. And they just, every day, they're just amazed that I don't eat, you know, have my face in it. And it's like, it's not my food. You know, it doesn't bother me. The brownie mix that I talked to you about, um, I make these phenomenal brownies out of this. You know, that's how this all really kind of started. And I bring them to parties and people are like, you don't eat these? I'm like, you know, the thing is that the batter gets on my hand, it makes me disgusted, and I wash it off. Not like, you know, oh, I can't have it, I'm disgusted. It's just like, it just, ugh, you know, I'm over this. Let's just wash it off and go on. So that's the, the total phenomenal miracle that I can be around it. You know, that I, I just, it just doesn't hold anything over me. So that's my life um, with, with the food. Um, am I perfect with, with food? No, because you know those damn, those damn 90 calorie snack pack things that they've, like, that exploded all over, you know, the markets now? It's like 90 calories. Well, that's not that bad. 90 calories, you could eat, if you ate two of those, that's only 180 calories. Well, that's not that much. I mean, my, the disease just goes like crazy and starts calculating how much I could have if I, you know, if I only have a chicken breast, then that means I could, you know, and it's just like, it just, and that's when I have to pray and meditate. Um, that's when I have to pray and meditate. In the morning, you know, I say the first three steps. I try to meditate. Sometimes I fall asleep. I'm not perfect. I do the best I can. Um, I wish I could stand up here and say that at 22 years, you know, 
you know, the aura and, you know, the lights and the birds come out every morning and, you know, it's like I just trollle off into the sunset. But it just doesn't happen that way. I'm just, that's just the way it is. But, you know, gosh, it's, it's a phenomenal life. I mean, I, and my higher power really takes care of me. Um, and, and how I know that is that um, my will is when I do things and nothing works. Like, everything I do is just like, it's, it's like a dead end. Like, I'm running into walls, I'm frustrated, and things aren't going well, and, and it's just, but when I let go and I just say, you know, God, you take care of this, you decide what I'm going to do, what is it that you want me to do? And, and about um, two and a half or three years ago, I got this thing about it, it was time to go back to school. Um, I had um, gotten my A degree, it took me like, I don't know, 400 years to get that sucker, but... Um, <laughs> I, I decided it was it was time to go back and and I and I, I just Googled um, a, a particular subject that I thought I would do well in and two schools came up and one of them was in Seattle and they didn't take California residents and which is weird and the other one was an online program in Omaha Nebraska and I'm like okay whatever and so I thought well it's up to you higher power if this is what you want me to do show me I put my application in within five minutes they had accepted me they said you know we'll take your A degree that's enough that's all we want. Um, and it just, it was like boom, 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 boom. Um, Thirteen months later, I had finished my bachelor's degree. I decided I wanted to continue. I did the same thing, found a um, master's degree program here in, in kind of in the L.A. area. Um, that went boom, boom, boom. I'm like, okay, this is kind of freaky. Um, but, you know, that is where my higher power has me now, so I'm in school. And I have to tell you, to be quite honest, um, you know, it's very hard for me because I want to be perfect, I know you can't relate, but um, I want to be perfect. And so every time I get an A, I want to email the instructor and say, you know, there are other people in the class that are much more intelligent than I am. So I don't really think I deserve this. You know, are you sure that I got, you know, 100% here? Because, you know. But now when one instructor gave me, took two points off an assignment because my title page was wrong, I was like, fit to be tied. I wanted to wring her neck. Thank God she's in another state. Um, <laughs> you know, so I mean, it is crazy compulsory eater stuff you do. Um, so so m- my point was is that, you know, I have to get out of my own way. That's really what happens to me. Um, so my life is phenomenal. Um, not every day, but it's much better than I could have ever imagined. And, you know, I, I always tell my sponsees, you know, because it's, it's hard for them to, you know, to sometimes get through these little challenges. And see, I don't eat over big things. That's not my thing. You know, like, um, I, I will tell you, and this is not to belittle um, this, but um, when I was 22 years, um, 22 years ago, not 22, 22 years ago, uh, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer and she passed away. That was very, that was extremely difficult. She passed away, my stepfather passed away on a Friday. She passed away two days later on Sunday. It was bizarre. It was just like weird. Like both of them in the same weekend, I was like, whoa. And, and the night they called me, I mean, what I did is I went to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting because that's what I knew how to do. I wasn't going to sit home and eat. But, you know, being late for work, that's when I want to eat a larger breakfast. I mean, the little crap is what, you know, that's what, I, I just go to the food for. So I have to be, you know, really connected to my higher power and, and really present um, and, and just do the best I can. I'm not someone um, that beats myself up over things. You know, I just say, okay, we'll do better tomorrow. And it's not a cop-out. I don't believe in that either. It's just like, you know, I'm not going to just 
I'm just not going to drive myself crazy. Life is just too short. So um, I hope that I've helped someone in the room. For the newcomers, um, this is a phenomenal ride. This is a phenomenal ride, and I hope that you stay. I hope that you hear something, if not tonight, at another meeting that, that you can relate to because um, you, can, you can be here for 22 years, 30 years, whatever. We have people with long-term absence. So um, please keep coming back, and, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you so much for your sharing. Mm -hmm. I really related a lot. Um, when you find yourself in the middle of a difficult situation or a difficult meal, are there things that you, or tools that you use, or things that you do? Um, yeah. Oh, the question was, is when I find myself in a difficult situation, um, whether it's during a meal or just, what are, what are the tools that I use? Is that correct? Okay. Um, for me, thank you for that. Um, for me, um, really the tool of writing um, helps a lot um, because usually um, I, I like to lie to myself and, and kind of gloss over what's going on. So I have to write it out and usually I get to what's going on. Usually, or, or it's, if it's obvious, um, then I have to like make an amends or, um, and if it's something about the food or if it's just something that I want to eat more, I have to call someone. It's really the basic tools. Um, talk to someone. Um, and most, some, sometimes it's just that I'm bored, so that means I have to get out of myself, so I have to, you know, work with a newcomer or um, talk to someone, um, you know, do some more service, um, you know, go to a meeting, you know, those are the kinds of things. But I use the tools. I, I go back to what works. How do you make the transition from wanting to have the brownie, the brownie next mm. to wiping it off your hands and presenting it to other people? I mean, to me that seems like an impossible yeah, the, the the question was about the transition. How do I make the transition from um, eating the dry brownie mix every day to getting to the point where it was disgusting to me and I wipe it off my hands? Well, you know, it took um, – it didn't happen, you know, even uh, three years later um, because, you know, still, I mean, I could – I would, you know um, – I heard someone today talk about romancing the food. You know, I would still um, romance it. I would sniff it. I would, you know, look at it. I would say, well – you know, and the carob, that was another thing. You know, I did the carob for, um, I found that probably very early on and went, well, it's not really chocolate, you know, but if you eat enough of it, it tastes like it. Um, and, you know, after a ton of it, you just have a lot of intestinal issues, which I won't go into. But, um, you know, it was a lot, it was a process, um, and it was really about um, praying about it and, and just realizing that I did not want to to be in love with that food anymore. I just didn't. I, I just didn't want that to have that kind of control. I wanted the freedom of being able to, you know, go to a party and have somebody else have chocolate cake in front of me. I mean, they have it at work all the time, and they're, you know, they they love to do this stupid thing. It drives me crazy, but it's funny. Is they go, ooh, don't you want a piece? And they like wave it in front of me, you know. And and I was like, you know, and a student did that. They they waved a piece of candy, a Snickers bar in front of me, and they said, you know, can't you have just one? Can't you have just one? Can't you have just one? And, you know, I'd had just about enough. I snatched it out of the air faster than they could even, like, realize it, and I said, if I have just one, life as you know it will cease to exist. <laughs> and I opened their little hand, and I put it back in, I closed it up, and I said, now go away. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, but the thing is, is uh, really the answer is, is that it, it was just about... Um, being away from it um, and and realizing that I just didn't want it. It was that I wanted freedom more. You know, that's really what I wanted. I wanted my life the way it was more than I wanted 
that immediate, you know, because once you have it, then you want more, and the, you know, phenomenon of craving kicks in, and, and it talks about it in our literature, and I just, you know, I didn't want that control over my life anymore, and, and I don't want it with anything, you know, so I really wanted my life more than I wanted the chocolate. Hi, um, I think you've had No, um, no. Um, the question was: is, is is about dealing with resentments, um, doing all the the things that we're supposed to do, writing about it, talking to our sponsor, um, but then the resentments are still lingering, and how do I deal with it? Um, you know, really, when when that happens, I, I realize that I need to, you know, keep looking at myself and my part of it. Um, and, and usually, there's some, there's still some something that I, I'm like. You know, I'm trying to take the poison and make them die. Or is it the other way around? Right. Anyway, whatever that saying is. But, I, you know, the thing is, is that I, you know, really the lingering resentment is that I'm just not finished with this. You know? Um, and I got to, and so I, go, I, I usually look at um, my writing and uh, I talk to my sponsor about it. And really it's still about me. You know, it's still about me, so I still got to work on it, and that means I have to pray for them. I have to pray for them to give them all the wonderful things in life that I would wish for myself, and that's hard because you know sometimes I want them to just be crumpled up in a little ball and thrown into the gutter and never see the light of day. You know, that's where when when I have a resentment, sometimes that's where it goes. You know, because then they'd be away from me. I don't want them. You know, I just want them away from me. But so I have to pray for them. That's the short answer is I have to pray for them and then pray for myself that, you know, God will release that anger and resentment for me. Um, so really that's, that's the best answer I can give you is, is I have to pray for them and pray for me. Is that? Just, yeah,